Well, we will be telling more of the story next week and in the weeks ahead. And then if you uh, would plan to come to the banquet in October, uh, we'll get details out to you about that soon. But that's when we'll have an extended opportunity to actually trace God's hand in bringing this church into existence. Uh, the basic story is this. It was in 2007 that Lauren and I, I was a youth pastor in Wheaton, started praying what's next as I was finishing up my education at Moody. And then an opportunity came up to be trained as a church planner in 2008. God steered and directed that church plant down here in the Palis area. We got approval. And then in 2009, we began assembling a team. Uh, that team began with Lauren and me and our three kids, her parents, my parents, and one of our two cats was a Christian. So that rounded us out at about two full hands. So we had to convince other people to hop on board, but a bunch of adults started checking things out. We had an info meeting at Trinity Christian College, and about 55 people came to that. From that, we started core team meetings in February on Sunday nights. It was in March that we actually launched the launch team, and 23 people became the founding members of that. And then it grew to 30 and 40, and they wanted you to get to 50 adults before you would get permission to launch. We got up to 60 adults and 20 kids and teens, and that was before we even had the first service. So, uh, there, was, so there was about 80 people who were gathering to build this church, to build the ministries. Uh, many of them had not heard me preach. Uh, many of them had not heard Mark lead worship. It was a big step of faith. We needed to raise over $80,000 in just nine months to pull off service one. And praise God, he brought it all together, and we had our first service September 13, 2009, which we will celebrate next week. Well, I'll talk a little bit more about the launch team in the sermon in a bit, um, but as we get into God's Word today, we're closing out our study in the book of Romans. You can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. From the very beginning, one of our pillars has been proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Every Sunday for the past 10 years, we have opened God's Word. We have gone through a text verse by verse. More often than not, it's been going through a book of the Bible. Sometimes we've picked a topic, and we've talked about that. But even in that case, we've picked passages that lead us to know God's mind, His heart, and His will. And so we are closing out. This is a big accomplishment. Together as a church, we're closing out the whole book of Romans this morning in chapter 16. Um, and we've seen so far that the major movements or sections of the book of Romans was first sin, man's depravity, then salvation, God's solution in the gospel, and then sanctification, what it means to be transformed in Christ, and then sovereignty, God's plan of the ages and how Christ is central to that, and then service, how you and I can serve a living God. Uh, so there it was, sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service, and today it's called the finale. These are the closing thoughts of the Apostle Paul to this church in Rome. We're going to learn how to build a strong and healthy church again uh, as we see the ingredients that were built into this healthy church from the very beginning. Let's pray and then we'll get into the Word of God together. Father, how exciting it is to close out another book of the Bible together. And we just ask that you would uh, just fill our hearts with joy and wisdom as we uh, reflect on what the Apostle Paul has been teaching us in this book for the whole year as we've been going verse by verse through the book of Romans. Show us, Lord, how we can apply these things to our church and our lives in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Actually, we're going to be at chapter 15, verse 22. And um, here's what it says. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. So Paul wanted to visit the church in Rome, but he hadn't been able to do it yet. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, 
At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Hey, you can jot this down. Number one, let's build a church on, and then we're going to pull uh, four different foundational things here from this text. Let's build a church on, and when I think of a foundation, when I think of building something, which is one of the metaphors used of the church in the New Testament, I remember this picture that I saw years ago. It's a picture of a skyscraper. When you think skyscraper, you think the clouds, right? Way up in the sky, but no, it starts below the ground. This is the foundation where it's going to be laid. They're going to pour uh, concrete, and then they're going to build the skyscraper on the foundation. When I think of Christ building his church, man, imagine the foundation that had to be set down so that his church would, would survive age after age. All the civilizations, many people in many nations, tribes, and tongues trying to topple it and failing. How could this church still be so strong uh, and vibrant and growing even today? Well, it's because the foundation that was laid uh, was very strong. Christ himself is called the foundation, but it also says in the New Testament that there were other things that, that were built into the very beginning of the church to show us what makes it strong and healthy. The first thing that we see here in the text that you can write down is generosity. You can write that down, generosity. We see generosity here in a few forms. First of all, the Apostle Paul is bringing an offering to Jerusalem from Macedonia and Achaia. It says here in verse 26, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. This is a wonderful picture of the church taking care of the church, uh, of Gentiles and Greeks and Romans helping those Jewish brothers and sisters because of a famine, because of poverty, because of persecution. Paul was carrying an offering to the city of Jerusalem. Now, some people, when they hear uh, this part of the book of Romans, they criticize how this could be a holy book. This sounds so casual. Paul's talking about his travel plans. It would be like today getting a message that's like, I fly in on Southwest Flight 1540 and then I'm going to Europe. Like, how is that the sacred, holy word of God? I was talking to an imam in a mosque once when I was writing a report in seminary about the difference between the Quran and the Bible. And one of the things he said was, it just seems like some of the Bible books in the New Testament are so informal. Paul writes a letter to somebody and it gets in the Bible. And to him, that was kind of a, a, a point of criticism. Like, how can that be God's holy, pristine word when it's not the high language of heaven? Well, what we know in the New Testament is this. God did not hand us a book that was meant to be um, a stumbling block, that was meant to be an idol. He, did not, he didn't hand us a book that was meant to become a relic or an icon in and of itself. In the record of God, we see the people of God, and God dwells in the hearts of the redeemed. We are the temple of the living God, together and individually. And so it's perfectly acceptable. It even uh, fits with what God was doing to see his church interacting by his spirit. And the record of that, the record of how they treated each other, the record of how they traveled and established new churches, that is the point. Uh, that is the point. We're not meant to 
simply bow down and worship a book, the book shows us the one who we are to worship, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that Jesus has set up residence not in the blocks of this building, not in, not in the most beautiful golden towers of this world. That's not where God does his work. He does his work in the hearts of real people. So that's what we see here. We see the Apostle Paul writing to real people, and they were all doing God's work. They were a generous church. They were generous financially. They gave benevolence offerings. They supported missionaries. They were also a hospitable church. They opened their homes. They had church in their homes. We'll read in a second. Paul expected to be able to stay with people when he showed up. Um, this generosity broke down hundreds of years of racial and social barriers. This was a very racial time, a very segregated time. And for a Jew to welcome a, a Samaritan or a Gentile into their home was forbidden. Um, and, and so here you see the church was breaking through those racial barriers and reaching across cultural lines in how they helped each other. Paul wasn't talking to Scrooge here. He wasn't like, hey, you church, start being generous. He was reporting on how generosity was actually one of the foundations of the church. It was happening. The church established a pattern of generosity from the beginning. That makes us wonder, how are we doing it, being a generous church together? It's kind of a good point for a spot check. Hey, are you gladly giving to others in need? Are you willingly supporting those who are going on mission for Christ? Are you opening your home and your heart to other Christians, warming up the church by the love that you're expressing? This is what our church was built on. This is what the church was built on. A few questions for reflection that kind of spring out of this passage could be, um, hey, are we having people over? The church, you know, had church in their home and they, they were always supporting one another. And Hey, are we having people over? Are we opening our home to welcome people in? Um, Lauren and I had company last week from church and the most obnoxious thing when we have people over is our dog. Our dog loves company a little too much. His favorite thing to do is to lick feet. So if you come to our house, don't wear flip-flops. So we had all these people over, and Spencer was walking around trying to lick people's feet, and then he got caught. I was like, Spencer, stop it! And he looked at me, and the look he gives me is like really funny. He looks at me like, you're the one who invited the foot buffet. He gives me this look. Like, if you have a dog, you know their looks, right? The look he gave me is like, I'm a dog. These are feet. What's the problem? <laughs> so we had to put him downstairs. But having people over can be a burden. But in the early church, they, were, they counted on hospitality. People would come to town. Paul was going to come to town. He, he counted on the hospitality of people opening their homes. Uh, we read later that they had church in houses. So they were a generous church. Another question here for a spot check is, they also gave materially to one another. So, you know, ask yourself this question. Hey, how's our giving plan? Are we being generous towards God's people and God's church? Uh, you know, are, are, are you prioritizing generosity in your family? Have you told your children, we want to be a generous family? Have you sat down and come up with a giving plan so it's not just sporadic or in the moment, but you're actually planning out your giving so that you can give cheerfully in advance? Do you have a written giving plan? And are you up to date on that? In a day and age where many of us, like me, give online, it's important at times to check to make sure everything is where it needs to be and to make sure that when you, you know, bow your head during the offering that you actually ask, Lord, even though my giving is automated, I pray that you would bless it and that you would use it. How's your heart? Is it filled with generosity? Do you look for people in need? Boy, don't we live in a day where the message that we are receiving all the time is more for you, more for you. Spend on yourself, right? Flaunt what you have. I mean, 
joy. It's time to be generous. It's time to learn the joy of giving uh, to others. And thankfully, we have been a generous church from the beginning, and we continue to enjoy the generosity of God's people. Hey, let's build a ch church on generosity. He goes on in verse 30 to say this, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Jot this down. Let's build a church on prayer. Let's build a church on prayer. One of our pillars is believing firmly in the power of prayer. We've joked from the beginning that that's the pillar that seems to fall over the most, the prayer pillar. And it's everybody's job, if you call this your church home, to walk over and grab that prayer pillar and pick it up every week by praying for your church, your pastors, and each other. Prayer is what we're called to. And I love this picture here. He says, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf striving together in prayer. I think of like a tug of war. Check it out. Here's a picture of a tug of war. Striving together. As a team all pulling in the same direction. In prayer. This is prayer. And here's the next picture. Just the look of striving together. One, one guy lost his footing. But it doesn't matter because the rest of the team's pulling. And here's the next picture. Doesn't look like it's going so well. The looks of striving and agony. And, and why do we do this? Because if we lose our footing, if we lose our grip, if we lose our... Then what happens? Here's the next picture. You end up in the mud, right? If we lose the battle in prayer, there we are, completely defeated. I'll never forget when I went to an arena football game a few years ago. During halftime, they had local high schools do a tug-of-war contest. So high school football team, after high school football team, you could picture these guys, right, all in their jerseys, squared off to, to do tug-of-war. They would pull, and they would grunt, and, they, and then one team would prevail. Well, I remember this one team, as soon as the whistle blew, at the same time, their whole team just sat down and leaned back. And the other team pulled and screamed and, and, and did all that they could do, and this other team didn't budge because they all just sat down and leaned back, and they watched. And then the guy in the back, they had some like system in place where he, he said a word, and they all stood up, and began stepping backwards at the same time, and they dragged the other team across the floor because they had lost all their energy and lost their footing, and they just dominated. Now, this team did this round after round. They dominated every other team until they made it to the final round. And then there was this other team that was like the strongest team, right? And when that whistle blew, the other team had been watching this team, so both teams sat down at the same time. <laughs> and the team that had this as their game plan, it was like a stare down was watching the other team who hadn't really done this before. So the, team, the other team kind of got antsy. And then one guy stood up and pulled. The other guy stood up and pulled. And then, just like they had done before, this whole team stood up at the same time. And one foot after another, they dragged this other team across the floor. It was total domination. No one could stop them because they were in perfect unity. Now, that's the picture here of what prayer should be like. The church, perfectly united in one voice, calling out to God the Father and winning the spiritual battles. Prayer. Now, this isn't a spot check on your prayer life. That's for another day. You and God, yes, get alone, cry out. This is a spot check of our prayer life. How are we doing at praying for one another up front after the services in our small groups? How are we doing at praying uh, for one another? We have to pray for each other. Leonard Ravenhill said something that I, 
I printed this quote and taped it to my wall. He said this, No man is greater than his prayer life. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. That is a challenge to be a praying church. Praying church. Prayer is powerful and effective. Not just your prayers, but our prayers. I believe the Bible teaches that there are some things, some prayers, God will not answer until you get the other Christians around you praying. If it's just you and Jesus, he'll say no in some instances. I believe there are some prayers that won't get answered unless you fast and pray with other Christians. No until you get my body involved. And that's meant to show you that prayer is not meant to be a solitary act. It's meant to be a communal act. It's meant for you to humble yourself and to say, I need your prayers. The apostle Paul here saw heaven, saw Jesus, and said, pray for me. Pray for me. I got a rough trip coming up. I'm going back to Jerusalem, and I need, I need you to pray for me. How humbling is that? What a portrait of spiritual leadership. Pray for me. Pray for me. Prayer is powerful and effective. Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Some people believe that, power is, that prayer is worthless. Some people believe that God won't answer prayers. God answered Paul's prayers, not in the way he thought. If you read through the book of Acts, you know what happened was he came with that offering to Jerusalem and he was arrested at the temple. He was almost killed on the spot. Then he was thrown in jail. And then there was an ambush set to try and kill him. And he had to be transferred by cover of darkness to another city. I mean, it was seemingly crazy and chaotic. It looked like God wasn't answering his prayers at all. But it turns out that Paul actually needed the protection of the authority to avoid being assassinated. And so it was under uh, the Roman Empire that he was guarded by the governors. Being put in jail actually gave him a safe place to write like five books of the Bible. You've got to slow this guy down, right? And so there he is in jail, and he finally starts writing all these books of the Bible. And ultimately, it would be on... The Caesars died that the Apostle Paul would be transferred to Rome, that the Roman Empire paid for his lodging and his transportation all the way, and he finally got to Rome just like he prayed. Now, is that the way he thought his prayers would be answered? No, but he did get there. God did answer his prayer and delivered him safely to Rome. Prayer works. People today in the media, the world is questioning whether prayer even works. No more thoughts and prayers, they say. We need legislation. No more thoughts and prayers for hurricanes. What's the point? Thoughts and prayers are worthless. Nothing could be further from the truth. The spiritual realm is where the fate of our world is decided. And we have a voice in heaven's highest court. Prayer is entering God's throne room. We must go boldly. We must go weakly. 
and we must go together. Pray. Let's build a church on generosity. Let's build a church on prayer together. Jot this down. Let's build a church on service. Let's build a church on service. It says in verse 33, May the God of all peace be with you all. Amen. And then in verse 16, or chapter 16, he begins to talk about people who have served well. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, to help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Appendidus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia. I worked on these names all week. I hope that you're glad that I'm not tripping and stumbling and Andronicus, Andronicus. If you've got a baby coming and you want to make sure nobody else has the baby name you pick, look to Romans chapter 16. All right? There ain't no Appendituses running around in the nursery right now. <laughs> Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my brother in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved... Go ahead and call that name out, everybody. <laughs> Stakies. Stakies. Pick that name. Stakies. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. There's a name that needs to come back in, right? Narcissus. Narcissist. How'd you pick that name? Well, I mean, we're all narcissistic on social media anyway. We might as well just call it like it is. <laughs> Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Got twins coming? <laughs> Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, <laughs> Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with him. Here's a good one. Greet Philologus, Julia, I know that one, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus. You got a big baby, there's a name, Olympus. And all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Oh my goodness, he's never even visited this city and he knows everybody. I can't even, like Paul dictated this letter we find out later, I can't even imagine as he's saying these names, asyncritus, asyncritus. And, and the poor author is like... <laughs> Stakies, I don't know how to spell these names. We learn a lot here from this list. We learn that this church was filled with servants. We learn, Paul says in verse 1, this person was a servant. Verse 3, my fellow workers. Verse 6, they worked hard. Verse 9, fellow worker. Verse 12, workers in the Lord. Verse 12, again, they worked hard six times he commends those who work for Christ. He sees these folks as fellow servants who've done some work with him. Service was a value from the earliest days of the church. Not only that, but he knew the names of the people who he served with. Hey, here's some takeaways from this little list here. Do you know the names of people in this church? How many? Have you filled a whole hand yet? Do you, do you know a whole hand's worth of names? Are you... If you wrote a letter to the church, could you, fill, could you spell their names? <laughs> Goodness. He's never even been to this city, and he knows them by name. They're working together so much that that's, he knows them. 
Hey, ask yourself this question. Are you serving on a ministry team? Are you working for Christ on a ministry team? Are you truly a servant of Christ? Uh, we have many people working for Christ on ministry teams here. Hey, raise your hand if you're on our Awana team this year and you're getting ready to launch this week. Raise your hand if you came to the training last week, you're on the Awana team. Praise God for you. That's an every week commitment. Praise your, uh, raise your hand if you're on the student ministry team this year. Student ministry team with the teenagers, high schoolers, middle schoolers, raise your hand up. Hey, praise God for you, every week commitment. If you're a parent or a student of middle school or high school, we've got orientation tonight. Six o'clock, be here. I want all of you here, students and parents, for orientation, and we're having ice cream. That's a bribe. <laughs> I'll say it. So come tonight, and you'll meet the team, people who are working for Christ. Do you know how many people it takes to pull off church now? Uh, raise your hand if you're on any Sunday morning ministry team, parking, store, hospitality, tech kids, worship, whatever. Raise your hand if you're on a Sunday morning ministry team. All right, so it takes like 100 people to pull off a Sunday service now. Think about that. When we launched, we had, a, we had a launch team of 60 adults, right? Now it takes 100 people to pull off church every weekend. There's plenty of room for you to serve and work for Christ. Service, service. It's so good for the heart to be serving others, not just me, my needs, my food, my media, my job, my time, my schedule. i got nothing left for other people. It's so good for the heart to be investing in the work of the Lord, to say, give me, put me in, give me a position, give me a role, give me a responsibility. It's so good for the heart to serve others. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You think Jesus couldn't have been like, I know you want me to do some things for you, but I have a universe to run, so I'm a little busy. Jesus was the busiest of them all, and he still served others. You can do it. Next, jot this down, gratitude. We see gratitude from the Apostle Paul in this section. He commended Phoebe in verse 1. He talked about those who risked their necks in verse 4 to 5. In, ver in verse 5, he talked about his first convert and commended that person as beloved. Now, that's kind of funny. He shows up, and there's no Christians. <laughs> Nobody has been saved. How many people have been saved in this area? None. Shares the gospel, and then one guy stands up. I'm in! And Paul remembers who it was. <laughs> Thank you. One guy got saved. Remembered him, loved him, commended him. He was so grateful that that person took a stand. In verses 8, 9, and 12, he calls people beloved. In verse 13, he says a woman was like a mother to him. Hey, this is gratitude. This is gratitude. Look, the Apostle Paul could have written this whole list, and if he was all filled with himself, he could have been like, hey, tell Phoebe to thank me. Tell Andronicus and Prisca and Aquila to thank me. Tell all these people to behold my glory. But he's so grateful for other people. We want to be a church that's grateful, that says thank you to those who have really served well. Today we're focusing our gratitude on our launch team members who started building this thing before it was even a thing. They sacrificed from the very start. They served. Many of them stayed. And I want you to be grateful to those people who started it all. Uh, look, when we started meeting in March of 2009, we had nothing. We had, uh, where's, where's Glenn Nielsen? Glenn, will, Glenn, our first treasurer. Glenn will, Glenn will joke with, you know, he'll know this. But we, like our first budget was like written on a napkin. 
And, and when we started collecting offerings, we had one offering plate that we borrowed. We didn't even have an offering plate. And you know those old offering plates that were silver with like the little felt circle in the middle? Well, it was defective. The felt circle kept falling out. So we had one broken, borrowed offering plate. That's what we started with. And we started collecting these offerings, and we, we had a long way to go. And all these people started coming, and they started giving, they started serving, they started building. And we really owe them a, a, great, uh, a great debt of gratitude because they, there wasn't anything. And if they hadn't signed up, if they hadn't said yes, if they hadn't given, if they hadn't served, there wouldn't be a church uh, today. There's a lot of launch team members in this service. If you were on the launch team, uh, you got on the launch team before the church launch, go ahead and stand up right now. I just want everybody to see you. Go ahead and stand up if you were on the launch team before the church launch. Let's give them a round of applause. Mike and Mark and I joked that when we had our first rehearsal, it was like Mike, Mark, uh, I think it was the guitar player, the bass player, who was unwrapping their instrument, like they had just gotten it. Uh, I went and got Domino's Pizza because it was cheap and we had no money. Uh, the sound guy didn't even know how to turn the soundboard on. I think that was Kyle. He's like, where's the button? <laughs> and so it was just the beginning of things. And I'm so thrilled that that team did what they did, and I just want to commend them. Hey, make sure that you find the launch team members and thank them. Here's a picture of the launch team, the first picture that we took when we actually got things off the ground. And, uh, and then here's the next picture. We grew the launch team, and we had a bunch of folks before we actually had our first service. And um, praise God, so many of those people have, have just moved on to, some of them moved into the city, some of them moved to other cities. Um, but we still have a great relationship with that group. And uh, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for them. We're having brunch today so that we can just remind ourselves of what God did. Make sure you tell these folks thank you. They, they took a big step of faith. Number one, let's build a church on generosity, prayer, service, gratitude. Jot this down. Number two, watch out. Number two, watch out. Just look to your neighbor and say that. No, you don't say that nicely. I mean, really say it to them. You're still not saying it right. Look to your neighbor and, and say, watch out. All right, good, good, good. Now we got it. Now we got it. There's something to watch out for. I saw a hilarious video from the PGA Tour where golfers had to watch out for something. Uh, check it out. Here's two guys reacting to a hazard Cody on the golf course. Well, That's a gator. When you're not going all that well at four over par, you take some chances. I actually like this next guy's reaction better. Here. Yeah. Smiley. Well, there it is. He walks away. He's shaking in his boots. And he just uh, he just drops the club. There's a side by side. Look at it. Now here's what's funny. The Bible actually tells us to do what the second guy did. When we see this hazard in church, watch out! Like jump back and be afraid. Right now, don't walk up to it as if you're fearless. Watch out! Watch out! It says here in chapter 16, verse. 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Watch out. We're, this is a balancing truth. So the first point was all about, let's be generous. Let's pray for each other. Let's serve one another. Let's be grateful. That's the balancing truth that says, watch out for some people. Meaning it's not just all about, come on in, we'll pray for you, give to you. It, some people, watch out. Watch out. And the church has to be on guard. Well, what do we look for? Who are we supposed to watch out for? Jot this down. Watch out. Avoid those who are causing division. Avoid those who are causing division. Watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles, it says here. These are people who divide the church. These are people who step to the other side of the tug of war and begin pulling, pulling at what God is doing in the congregation. These are divisive people. And some people who are divisive are to be avoided. Those actively causing division grieve God and invite his judgment. Watch out for those causing division. It says here, and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Jot this down. Watch out for those changing doctrine. Watch out for those who are changing doctrine. So this can come in a few forms. People... Somebody could suddenly bring new doctrines into the world. I've got a new revelation, a new doctrine, a new thought. And this is where we got the Jehovah's Witness cult, the Mormon cult. New doctrine, new revelation, new vision. This is also where Islam came from. 600 years after Christ, 600 miles away, a new prophet said there's a new doctrine, a new vision. Uh, this is um, clearly in the Bible to be Avoid it. Avoid those who are changing doctrine by adding to it. The book of Revelation warns against anybody who would add to or take away from the Bible. Now there's another way, though, to, uh, to mess with doctrine. You can change old teachings. So maybe you're not adding new teachings. You're just rethinking old teachings. Any area of theology can become problematic when someone starts revising or eliminating parts of the Bible. Uh, some would say, well, you know, maybe this book isn't God's word, or maybe Jesus isn't the only way, or, or, and they start rethinking things that were so clear to them in the past, and then suddenly their views are no longer orthodox. They have changed the doctrine. If a person's Bible is missing pages, avoid them. Avoid them. If a person is changing what is plain in Scripture... We're told here to avoid them. Watch out! Watch out for those who are causing division. Avoid those who are changing doctrine. Jot this down. Watch out. Avoid those who are indulging themselves. It says here, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Their own appetites. They are indulging themselves. So this is a form of division that's not based on doctrine, but on a dominant personality. There are those who divide the church around their own dominant personality. Today we've seen in the evangelical world, even in our own fellowship, the disastrous results of leaders who refuse to be held biblically accountable. They begin building the church around their gifting and their personality. They become the center of attention and authority. Drunk on their own ego, entitled and shameless, they strut proudly, feeling untouchable, infallible, and God will collapse their sand castles sooner or later. Avoid those who are indulging themselves. Jot this down. Avoid those who are deceiving and confusing others. It says, 
by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Smooth talk. Smooth talk. There's confusion and deception in the smooth talk. The words are, are so carefully crafted and contoured. They're smooth. They're manicured. They're strange. They're smooth talk. And flattery. They're building you up. They're praising you. They're, they're thanking you. They're helping you. Flattery. Smooth talk. They deceive the hearts of the naive. They're lying. They're lying. They're deceptive. They're confusing. And they're targeting those who are uh, naive, who are listening to it and believing it. Hey, avoid those who are deceiving and confusing others. We're alerted to the fact that this is spiritual warfare. It says, your obedience is known to all. I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This idea go back, goes back to Genesis when uh, Adam and Eve were seduced to believe a lie. Satan is called the father of what? Father of lies. So when you have someone who's lying, someone who's deceiving, someone who's manipulating, that's an alert that there's spiritual warfare happening right there in the heavenly realms. And just as Eve was promised in the Old Testament that uh, Satan, you would strike her descendants' heel, but he will crush your head, now it shows that the church will crush the head of the enemy when we alert ourselves to the spiritual battle that's happening uh, when divisive people are trying to turn the hearts of people away from Christ and from other believers. Um, in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says the church is the pillar of truth. And so deception and falsehood and lying is fundamentally against what we're supposed to be a pillar of. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so somebody who's struggling to tell the truth is a liability to the church. People who won't tell the truth, who tell partial truths, who omit the truth, anyone who refuses to tell the truth endangers the church and should be avoided. In John 7, 18, it says this, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Hey, is there someone in your life who is causing division? Is there someone in your life who's changing doctrine? Is there someone in your life who's indulging themselves? Is there someone in your life who's deceiving or confusing you? The Bible says, be wise, be innocent, avoid them. Number one, let's build a church on generosity, prayer, service, gratitude. Number two, watch out! Avoid those who are causing division, changing doctrine, indulging themselves, and deceiving and confusing others. Number three, walk in the wisdom, peace, and power of the gospel. Walk in the wisdom, peace, and power of the gospel. It says here in verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater. <laughs> there, there you go, Sosipater. Call him Pat. What's your name? Pat. Is that short for Patrick? No, Sosipater. Sosipater. Give, give the middle name asynchronous. Sosipater, asynchronous Johnson. <laughs> Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is a host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. Greet you. What do we see here? We see a doxology next, and I'm going to read it first. And then I'm going to actually use this as a, a way to close out this whole series. 
Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and throughout the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's like the fireworks burst at the end. To preach that passage would be to go back through the entire book of Romans. The summary is this, from this last chapter, walk in the wisdom, peace, and power of the gospel. That's been the message throughout the book of Romans. Uh, from beginning to end, Paul has challenged us in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What I want to do is commemorate that we've just made it through another book of the Bible together. God has spoken to us and grown our church and protected our church through this book. He's done amazing things. So what I want to do is this. I want us to all stand right now, and I'm going to read this doxology as kind of a benediction. Uh, maybe you grew up in a church where at the end the pastor would do a benediction. That's kind of code for praying with your eyes open, benediction, you know, where you get to pray with your eyes open. So I'm going to read this as a benediction over us, and then we're going to sing one last song after I pray. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.